Hello and welcome to Priority Roll, an Age of Sigmar podcast from sunny England. Join us as we discuss the ever-changing character of wargaming in the mortal realms. Grab your D6 and get ready for the Priority Roll. Hello and welcome to episode one of Priority Roll. My name is Dan and today I'm joined by Luke Morton. Hello Luke. Hi there, how are you doing? I am brilliant, how are you? I'm okay. So the reason why we wanted to uh, talk to you today was because uh, you and I both are in a similar position in that we're both looking at starting a new army, having having played with a certain list for a, for a while. Is that not right? Yeah, that's right. So I've been playing with my, my Pterodons, hashtag Pterodan. I've been playing with those uh, for a couple of events, and, or in fact three events and a few practice games, but not too many practice games, which is, is probably why my first event didn't go too well. But uh, they are sadly, I'm Pterodone with those. They're sadly on to the next owner. I'm looking forward to seeing how they do in the hands of, uh, of, another, of another general, another slan mage priest, see how that goes. But really, rather than talking about me, and we'll do an episode where we kind of talk through what I want for a list and what I want from an army, We'll do that in a future episode, but really, I wanted to to invite you on to talk about what you're looking for in your next army because you've recently won the Facehammer Grand Tournament with your Salmon Cannon list. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and Throne of Skulls doubled out using the same army. Oh, uh, of course. Yeah, yeah. Getting the cheeky Throne of Skulls mentioned there. So you're not you're just a one trick pony or a one trick eel. Apparently, I'm a nice guy getting best sports as well. Oh well, you know. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of uh, of best sports trophies. I think they're an important part of the game. I think it, um, if you can uh, if you can do well on the on the gaming side and still get best sports trophies, then you're obviously doing something right. You're gaming well and gaming uh, gaming with the right attitude. Yeah, definitely. You want to try and embrace the whole of the hobby, really, and the, and the modelling and the painting. Exactly. I enjoy doing that as well. So I guess that that leads us on to uh, a quick question, a side note question of uh, what do you think about sports and soft scores impacting final standing in competitive uh, Warhammer events? I think sports should uh, still always affect Warhammer because that's mainly what it's about, but maybe keep the painting as a side thing. Or I think definitely put in the basics of painting so everybody puts the effort in just to make their army look to the best of their own ability. Just have those like basic steps in where it doesn't really judge them on their skill just shows that they put the effort in to build their army and paint their army but i don't necessarily think you should get lots of points for having the nicest painted army let's say or if you know what i mean yeah absolutely i guess it's subscribing to what games workshop are portraying as the difference between battle ready and parade ready right and if it's painted and, and painted properly it's not just kind of like a i don't know mccrag blue spray with a couple of um silver dry brushes or weapons that kind of thing you know that that does not a a city of sigmar free guild soldier make then i think yeah if, if you're if you're willing to push the envelope and do really well painting and 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 that kind of thing, then you know you should be rewarded as such. But you know the question is, should it should it impact uh, final standings? You're going to go with no, but you think sports standings should. So what what to you? What's the difference between sporting soft scores impacting final standings and painting? Because surely uh, not everyone is not everyone is a really super friendly, engaging person. Maybe that maybe they're a bit shy, or maybe they're um, you know not really that kind of person. Yeah, I don't think sporting should be a largely affect uh, gaming, but it should be. I think it should be in there. I know what you're saying but I think it doesn't necessarily mean you're the nicest guy I mean if you had a really tactical tight game uh, and you both and you both felt that you had a tactical tight game then sports can go on that it is hard to have sports affect gaming because it's so it's so widespread of what what you should get a sports vote for that's an interesting one because does it come down to definitions and i think the same can be said for painting uh, results and painting awards at events is is this when you're voting for painting you know when it's um 
player voted is it favorite army is it coolest army is it best painted army and you know everything in between and i guess is a sport vote about being nice or is it as you say giving a best the best game is that someone that allows you take backs or lets you re-roll the, that dice that was ever so slightly wonky even though it was clearly a one you know that kind of thing or is it someone that just plays a really tight game uh, knows their rules doesn't allow any take backs but then equally asks for ne- none either yeah well i just think you should be a fair player uh try to agree everything before the phase even starts so like the movement phase pre-measure everything it just avoids anything like that so yeah i mean I, I guess a great example would be on my game four at blood and glory i played a chap called ben harper and his daughters of cain and it was a brilliant game and i think we both kind of held each other to account for our mistakes you know in in a non-confrontational way i uh I think I can't remember what it was that uh, he. That's right. He removed a model during Battle Shock, uh, thus taking his unit out of coherency. And and I said, but that's that's what you did. You picked up the wrong model, and you've made a mistake. And uh, therefore, a few of your witches that you didn't think were going to die have now died. And he was like, oh, that was a mistake. And I was like, yep, yeah, that's fine. And, and I'm going to capitalise on that mistake by by asking you to sort of adhere to the coherency rules on the Battle Shock phase. And then equally, I um. I did my swooping dive with my pterodons in the first turn. And the second turn, I, I went to the reroll and he said, what did you get the rerolls for? And I said, swooping dive. And he said, you have to declare that in the movement phase. And I said, okay, that's my bad. I, I didn't do that. And so I, di- I, rather than kind of arguing it, and I just said, okay, I won't get the rerolls, but I'll remember to do that for the next turn. And that, that wasn't an argument per se. It was just both two players kind of holding each other to, to sort of high standards of play, at, you know, at the top, top ends of the table in a game for an event. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I mean... If you're a confident person, then you should maybe learn how to adapt to the players that you play. Do you know what I mean? Like you could just change, just change in how you, if they are, that's how they want to play, then you you play the same same way. So just just try to be as fair as you can in every in every game and adapt. Yeah, absolutely. And and being adaptable, I guess, is key to being a good player, isn't it? You know, in in general, but also when you are rolling into turns four and five, and you're you know push for time and someone says, oh, I didn't do this, then actually not holding them to account for that is really a, a sporting thing to do. Even if you have played a very tight game, if someone's, you know, if someone makes a mistake because they're really rushed because you've only got 20 minutes to get a turn in each, then maybe take that into consideration and not necessarily undermine everything that you've stood for in the previous game about, in the previous turns about being really, really tight, but then just kind of bearing that in mind and kind of taking your approach differently. I'm not going to say what's what's right or wrong. It's I think it's up to each player to work out that balance, work out where the lines are, work out, you know, is a take back in turn one, the first first couple of moves of the game, one thing, but actually when it comes to game five and it's a game winning decision and game winning mistake, then is that really when you should be letting people do take backs? Yeah, I think if you're under pressure with time, you should both try to come to some kind of agreement of how fast you can get through your turns. And, you know, when things don't matter, just try and ignore that part of the game and just try and get through to try and see a result. But can't always, it can't always happen. And then it's, Really, it's really hard when you're in that situation. But you just, just try the best you can and be the fair, as fair as you can. And I mean, as sort of the judges for those kinds of decisions in the end, if you if, if it does come down to that, yeah, you just absolutely. have to agree with whatever the judge agrees, even if it's against you or, or if it's for you. Just yeah, it's very difficult though. Yeah, and there's, there's, I think there should never be any never be any shame for calling a judge over you know yes it's best to work it out with your opponent there and then but if if your opponent's got a different perspective to you then then by all means agree with your opponent you know i think why don't we just get the ceo's take on this rather than rather than us talk about this left right and chelsea and waste time in the game let's get the ceo over and, and talk it through and i think i think that's a completely fair way to to come to the conclusion of a, of a discussion about a topic yeah 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 definitely 
So we've seemed to have rabbit holed ourselves down into uh, soft scores and sports votes, and that's not necessarily <laughs> what we're here to do. Maybe that's a topic for another day at greater length. Uh, so, Luke, why don't you just introduce yourself in your own words? My name's uh, Luke Morton, and I've been. I used to be. Well, I used to play eighth edition quite a lot. Uh, started playing Warhammer when I was about twenty-four. Uh, local store in Sheffield, and I just went off from there. And then the first army was Ogres, and then I got into Chaos Dwarves. Started going to a few single events in Sheffield, doing some one-dayers. And then uh, I started getting obsessed about playing larger tournaments, and my first large tournament was Sheffield Slaughter. And then from then on, I just carried on and carried on <laughs> to a point where it did take over a bit, so I had to just take a break for a while. And then uh, recently, I've made... I made the step to play some Age of Sigma and really push my painting this time. I've never really done the painting, so I pushed myself on the painting front and obviously I'm still a very competitive player, so still write the best list that I can. And now I'm playing Age of Sigma and I'm loving it. Fantastic. And how would you describe your playstyle in Age of Sigma specifically? Well, at the moment it's MSU, so lots of lots of effective small units that you kind of have to all come together and pick people apart. I kind of I did do that a lot in 8th edition so I guess that is my style I like to have a lot of units a lot of effective units and uh, play that kind of way uh, I don't necessarily think I think you should have a balanced list but a balanced list for me is not necessarily having uh, being able to compete in every phase What is it about MSU style that, that works for you? Why do you enjoy that? I just I just feel that you can play you can play every scenario with, with lots of units I feel you can play every army it might not necessarily be the best versus some armies. It still might be a bad matchup. I feel allowing to be MSU does allow you to effectively play any army out there and win any scenario. So you just, it just allows you to be uh, more more tactical in a way. You've got a lot of a lot of different things and positioning and movement to think about, which ultimately Age of Sigmar is about is a very scenario-based game and largely you're winning in the movement phase. Yeah, one of the things that I think the MSU kind of style really helps with is especially when, you, when you're when you going against your opponent's really strong units because a unit of 40 buffed-up witch elves are going to absolutely rinse through. Let's say, you know, they've got Mind Razor on, they've got all their buffs and, you know, they've had a sippy cup from the uh, boss witch. They're going to absolutely rinse through 40 plague monks, aren't they? Yeah. But they're, they're equally absolutely going to rinse through 10 plague monks. So 10, 10 plague monks in front of a line of witch elves they're going to have to get through that. They would equally, they would get through with with just as much effectiveness. Forty plague bugs, probably. You know, you might have a few left over, maybe um, if you roll well, but uh, or you, you you make them immune to battle shot. But they're probably they're probably going to rinse through that unit of forty. So why not why not put a unit ten in the way of them? Because it's going to cost cost them as much time and space on the board as forty would. Well, yeah, and it, well, that's what the MSU allows you to do. It allows you to look at your opponent's army and think, well. How do I deal with that? If I can't deal with that, then try and tie that up while I get this objective this way and block that up and go for those units that I can kill. And then only let that one big Death Star unit kill so many units. Yeah, because if you have if you have four units of ten, let's let's go back to our, our plucky plague monks in this scenario. Let's say you've got four units of ten, you could put them in, in kind of waves and you could tie up that unit for, for four turns. Yeah. Skinks are another, yeah. another great example of that. Because you can Depending you can on how, how the, the, obviously the terrain and the scenario and everything. I mean, they could, the witches could maybe charge in a way where they know that they, 10 of them can still kill the tech play monks, but then they could charge in a way, if they get a large enough charge, to sling them forward and put them in a, themselves in a better position. So Yeah, absolutely. No, absolutely. I think I'm being, I'm being quite kind of, um, 
quite basic in my description of uh, the scenario of quite a kind of a very linear process. So clearly, the, the terrain, the, the size of the unit, the role of the charge, obviously, all comes into play as well, doesn't it? Yeah, I mean, yeah, I just I just love that style. They're just that style, cheap, effective unit. Every every unit does work. There's not very much wastage. But then again, if you if you make uh, mistakes with MSU, issue, it, it does crumble and fall apart. You, you, it's rewarding for yourself to win the games, but then if when, when you lose with with MSU, you, you you're learning as well. You're learning why and how. No, that's fair enough. More than you would with a list that just is a massive Death Star and would just grind through every unit, and you kind of know how that's gonna go. Yeah, absolutely. And so you've been you've been running a kind of MSU. On a deepkin list for a while, haven't you? Yeah, in the background, been playing, uh, playing. Well, I started off with a lot of frolls in the list, uh, MSU frolls, but then uh, slowly, as face ammo was creeping up, I slowly uh, changed it all to ills. It's just a lot easier to paint, and it probably is the better list. But uh, yeah, it's good. Why has that worked for you? You know, not just because it matches your playstyle of the MSU style, but what is it about that list that you enjoy? The problem with Age of Sigmar and Tonnems now, you kind of it's adapt and changing so much if you want to be in there with tournaments you, you need a lot of money really and you buy a lot of armies so the, probably the best way to approach it now is maybe pick an army that is, is mid mid new or ne- nearly new and just adapt that army so I just picked Iden F and, and just tried to make it work and luckily I've, I've made it work so far so you think perhaps picking an army that's um, not necessarily the newest thing on the block something that's that's been through a few, you know, it's been through its FAQ, it's it's been through a few guinea pigs in the tournament scene, as it were, and you've kind of you can learn from the styles and plays of others and incorporate that into your into your own play. Yeah, I think that's the best way to learn. It's best pick a pick an army, stick with it, and at least have thirty to forty games with it. Just try to tweak your list minimally. Like you, you have the bulk of your list, you know it works. Have about have a five or six games with it and if it's winning and and you know and all you know you've lost but you know you maybe if you did something different you could have won but just stick with the list stick with the list and then you'll learn a lot you'll learn a lot and you'll you'll be a better player and just only make minimal tweaks to your list as long as you know the list is is competitive and you know it works and then most armies now i mean there's lots of options so just yeah, just stick with the art, stick with one army as for long as you can, and then move on. I, I wouldn't really suggest getting the latest book coming out, play with it a few times, and then move on, unless unless you got the brain for it, which some some players do. Well, you know, I did I did sell my pterodons after just three events, so you know, I think I'm definitely up there with the uh, the brains category. <laughs> <laughs> Or the or the hobby butterfly category, one of the one of the two. Who, who, who wrote the pterodon list? <laughs> oh, touche, <laughs> touche. Well, th- th- I wrote that list. Tom Mortley's version didn't have the uh, Geminids in it; it had the Horogast in it. So uh, I, th- I think the, the eighth edition joke is I changed the halberd on a b- BSB. Oh, so you claimed the list after one change? I like it. Yeah, exactly. That's how I roll. But we'll we'll maybe cover pterodons on a, on another episode. Let's uh, let's stick with with what you're looking at. So if you've enjoyed your Ardenes, why why are you changing now? Oh, it's just it's good to it's good to change up your armies and learn learn how different armies play. And otherwise, if you it can just get a bit you just get a bit sterile and you just don't really you can you, you can burn your out if you play the same army over and over and over again. But I don't think I'd drop Iden F for good. Uh, I'd like to pick a I'll probably take him again at some point. But uh, it's just good to have a refresh. But I've noticed that from you, you you stick for the 
carried on very long and you, you want to do something different now, don't you? I think what you're saying about there about things getting a little bit stale um, on the tabletop, for me, the pterodons were, were amazing. They, they were great fun to pay, play, but there was a little part of me that kind of felt that the games were quite were quite similar. Because of how it played, opponents tended to react in a certain way, and that tended to be castling. And you basically waited for that castle to open up, and then you just dropped the pterodons and, and spent ages. And actually, one of the reasons why I went away, well, one of the reasons why I started the army is because I wanted something with less models in it than my previous army, which was a kind of plague monk horde, pestilence horde type thing. And actually, I found that the way I was playing the pterodons was creeping back into the way I was playing or, or what was frustrating me about the pestilence in that you drop, you spend ages doing, rather than spending ages moving each little monk around on their movement trays, you spend ages picking where you want to put your pterodons, measuring, you know, here and there, and making sure you can do your three inch and your seven inch, blah, blah, blah. And then you're rolling all the dice, you're doing all the re-rolls, you're doing the rolls for the re-rolls and the ones and the six, you know, things like that for the, te- the plague monks. And something quite similar was happening with pterodons. And I, I realised there was actually a large portion of my games where my opponents were just kind of sat there with their with their arms folded thinking, all right, when's, when's it going to be my turn? Because the, the turn that I dropped my pterodons takes ages absolutely ages and it's it just I, fe- I felt that it was getting a bit too similar in the the things that were frustra- frustrating me about my plague monks there were elements of the pterodon list that were frustrating me in a similar way it was still much more fun to play but i was i think i also looked at my tournament schedule as well and i'm not playing any tournaments till you know at least q1 q2 2020 so i just thought why not why not change it you know let those pterodons fly free yeah it's not just for the game either is it i mean it's nice to I do enjoy the building side of things. I do like the painting. I mean, the paint takes a long time, but I just enjoy building a lot, not just for the gaming. And I think there's a little, a, a large part of me that, that knows that one of the reasons why the Pterodon list is, is so good is because of the Shadow Strike Star Host, and it allows you to deep strike outside of three inches rather than nine inches. It also allows you to move when you do so. You know, those, those are two very old mechanics that don't exist in any battle tome at the moment any new battle tome does not have you know i think vanguard hunters allow you to arrive within six inches or something rather than nine or seven you know i'd have to check the war scroll but there's very few things out there that can arrive within nine inches are there can you think of anything uh not a top of my head there will, there will be but yeah it's, it's mainly nine inches away that's what what, the, what they've been going for what we've been seeing at the moment is mainly nine inches away but I just thought to myself, do you know what? Is Shadow Strike going to survive in its current form in in, in a new battle tome, whenever that might be? You know, Ter- Seraphon are the only, I believe they're the only book of its age that haven't uh, had a, uh, a refresh. So uh, so I assume it's on its way. Is Shadow Strike going to survive the cut? My, my argument is probably not in the same form. So at that point, that army's got a bit of a, a kind of count, almost like a, a ticking sand timer against it. And I thought, well, if I'm not going to play for a few months, then I don't want to wait for it to be invalidated i might as well uh, get rid of it while it's still good and and let someone else play with it for a bit and if they if they want to keep it after it changes then then that's their choice but i know that by the time that decision comes round, i would want something different and there's so much on the horizon at the moment in terms of age of sigma that i'm always looking for a new project yeah yeah me too i mean i like to proxy proxy a lot in the background and not just dive in and buy an army and and then, then find out maybe it's not the best Sometimes lists look amazing on paper, and then when you actually put them on the table and play a game, reality seems in it's not actually a great list. Yeah. <laughs> so sometimes it's just best to 
proxy with your mates if you can and find out whether your list is good and tweak and tweak and tweak and yeah and then then pick your pick your list up well talking of lists what what in your mind what makes a good list not necessarily what lists match your play style i feel like we've covered that but what makes a good list in the game in general because you mentioned that you don't think lists need to compete in every phase of the game no so you need but age of sigmar is a scenario based game so you you need to re- be fresh on all them scenarios look at them scenarios and then and then from from uh, when you're ready from that point of view you need to think well how am i going to get those scenarios the best way that i can and stop my opponent getting them scenarios so, so then you can go to so you pick a book and you go through your units and go well oh this can drop nine away i could maybe block this off and this unit can, is fast it can get to this objective or this one does a lot of burst damage. I can maybe blow blow this unit off an objective. Generally, if you look through a, a book, just look at like the, the movement is a large part, especially with scenario-based games, or if anything's got access to uh, to teleport things, or anything that's got a lot of burst damage, or anything that's tanky. What do you, what do you mean by burst damage? Like some some units can just go in and do a lot of do a lot of damage, but then they'll take a lot of damage back. So generally, that's what I find in some units that are not very tanky but do a lot of damage. So something you like know Pterodons or Eels? Something like Pterodons, Eels, or like a Moor Crusher. Uh, it will die on the return if it doesn't go in and blow something off. Or anything anything, anything like that. Or a Frost Lord, Frost Lord of Stonehorn. Although that, that's, that can do a bit of tanking. You can build that in a different way. But you could also build it to do a lot of damage. Just, uh, just yeah, yeah. <laughs> It's hard to describe how you build your list, but you, you, you want something that can just grab objectives, maybe hold, uh, you obviously want to hold objectives. So you, you might build a list that's like very survivable when it gets the objectives, tanks the objectives in that way, or a list that is fast, but then can do a lot of damage and move and then move on, but then might have to get that objective back. So... Lot, lot, there's loads, loads of lists out there. I mean, you could there's shooting, there's the hero phase, the movement phase. A lot of armies can compete in all in one of those very, very well. I don't think there's any armies that can do everything at the moment, which is good. It just allows it allows it to have this meta where you have one army that's going to shoot this army off, or one army that's just amazing in combat, or one army that can like Slanesh can summon a lot of stuff, like a, a DP farming army, <laughs> or yeah, it just just AOS now. The, the list, the lists are endless. I mean, you can you can build an army to do and do well in all the do well in the scenarios in a completely different way to another army. And it just allow it just allows you to it just allows you to be very versatile in what you want to do. So it's hard. It is hard to say what what you what you think is the best. You kind of have to look at the army as a whole and how that army is going to get those objectives for you in the best way that it can. But also you have. To look at the meta at the same time obviously all this is competitive so in competitive play you need to see your, your scene or the, the tournaments you attend and see what kind of armies are out there so you need to make sure your list is ready to compete with those lists but can also still do the scenarios so you, all the lists will vary and also you need to build the list for you and how you find how you find the list will work for you as a player because everybody has their own styles of play. I don't think any I don't think somebody can just pick up anybody's list and just go and win an event with it. I think they'd have to play it and play it and play it and mould it to how they their play style. If you know what I mean. Yeah, I think actually when you see people kind of in inverted commas picking up the latest filth or something like that, you know, when you see people they've just bought what's 
just won an event, they're buying someone else's list. And that, that person who won the event might might have also been running someone else's list. But And that's not, not necessarily a bad thing because that list might work for them. But it might not necessarily work for them all the time. And that not, it's not necessarily because they're, they're a poor player or a rubbish player that's picked up a good list and they're just still not very good at it. It's just that the list might not work how they work on the tabletop. Yeah, and it's not. It's also a large. The game is largely based on player skill. I mean, a lot of the good players are always, always there, always have been since the beginning. Uh, I do believe any a player with a good player skill could go four and one at an event with 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 a list they've just put, picked up. But, I mean, that 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 doesn't mean don't go and buy a net list uh, because you won't do well with it. You 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 could still do well with with, with a net list, and that's, if that's what you want. I think the difference is. Between four and one and going five and zero oh is that that's where you need to get your practice games in, or because you might you might just miss something that you could have maybe picked up in practice, or you might have you try to get beaten in practice games, so you know well I know this beats me, so I know I can do this different. Yeah, definitely make your mistakes in in practice games, so you don't have to make them on game four or five of an event. Yeah, yeah, definitely, and it, it also helps you be a, a faster player getting the practice in and. Uh, make your decisions quicker, all that kind of stuff. Just yeah, it can really it can really push you in a competitive way at, at a tournament if you've got if you've got a few games in beforehand. Definitely. So, is there something? Is there a list that you're looking at specifically at the moment? Is there is there something that's ticked all of these boxes you just described? Well, Ogres was my first army I picked up, so I thought I'd just pick that book up and try and make it work. So at, at the moment, I'm looking I'm looking at uh, looking at a list. It's quite low model count, but largely in the large in the movement phase and it does the burst damage that I was on about and can do a bit a little bit of tanking. So do you want shall I go go through it? Yeah, absolutely. If you want to give away all your so, secrets. <laughs> I don't mind if someone wants to go and buy a list I just said randomly on this podcast, that's uh, fine with me. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, that's a bold <laughs> shout. Episode one. Yeah, I heard someone heard someone talk about a list on episode one of a podcast, and I now own it. <laughs> to be fair, it's actually quite a cheap army to buy. Well, it depends if you're buying frost sabers or Fenrisian wolves, doesn't it? Yeah, well, I looked at uh, Lord of the Rings. Fell uh, are uh, quite cheap. You get six of them in a box as well. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Or, if you want to go really cheap, I think Chaos Warhounds. Yeah, or uh, there's the Wild Wags as well. They're £11 for six. £11? I don't think pounds. you get any cheaper than that. What a bargain. <laughs> I better go through the list before we uh, indulge in what we're on about. <laughs> Spoilers, it contains Frost Sabers. <laughs> so, yeah, starting off, he's got uh, an, ice, an Ice Bow um, Hunter. Uh, he's a general. The hunter's got a Winter Ranger command trait, which gives you D3 command points in the hero phase. And while you're in it, you have to ambush down in turn three, otherwise you can't, you're destroyed in turn four. So you get three turns of D3 command points. And uh, the he's got a pretty nifty command ability that allows you to put extra attacks on the saber tusk. That's why you're going for them, uh, uh, that command trait. It's also why there's no uh, tribe. I've not gone for any tribe because you can't get this trait if you go for a certain tribe. Oh, that's interesting. And then uh, it's got an artifact as well that gives him plus one save and um, uh, and it gives him a command point uh, one time in the first hero phase. So you could be ending up with D3 plus two command points. It's got two battalions in the list, two scowl battalions. You have to have a ice bow hunter and a two to ten uh, saber saber tusk unit. So that so all of a sudden you've got four four plus D3 command points in the first turn, <laughs> just from those. 
system. <laughs> you can see where I'm going with a with a command point heavy army. Yeah, I can yeah. see that. And then we got a Frost Lord uh, on the Stonehorn. He's got a, me- a metal cruncher and a ethereal amulet, so he's quite tanky and quite hitty. The metal cruncher allows him to. It's a mount trait that uh, if you've got a four plus or better armor safe at the start of the hero phase, you do uh, at the start of the combat phase, you do D six mortal wounds. I mean, D six mortal wounds is not to be sniffed at. It's not bad, especially when you, especially when you start stacking it with his charging. And now the ogres, when they charge, and if you're a monster, do mortal wounds on a four plus for the amount that you rolled. Yeah, you roll that many dice, right? So now you can go into these keepers or these anything that's always striking first. These monsters, you can always striking last. Probably, probably take them down a couple of brackets, so you maybe survive the hit when they hit you, and you just finish them off for your. They've got a lot of damage output. The uh, Stonehorns, Frostlords and Stonehorns, and they're quite survivable. Yeah, I suppose uh, they're even more tanky if you put an Ethereal Amulet on on the uh, second one, which I assume that's what you've done. Yeah, and they, and they come with an innate 5 up Ignore now, which is uh, is quite tasty, especially if you've faced the Vermin Lord. Yeah, absolutely. And I they... think that 5 up Ignore's uh, <laughs> kept my Vermin Lords alive a few times. Yeah. <laughs> so, and then the other Frost Lord, he's got, um, he's got a, an artifact out of the book, uh, that the Frost Lords can take. It's uh, it's like a gauntlet. It's called Avalar Gauntlet. That's the the Alvagar rune tokens rather than the gauntlet. So that's uh, that's something that allows you to re-roll hits and wounds, right? Yeah. Thank you for cor- correcting me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's it's very good because it's the start of the hero phase until until your next hero phase. Okay, so that's good if you get if you get dealt back. Yeah, it's good for that. Or uh, it's not so great if you do get the double because then it's gone. But yeah. it's good for taking double. Is it is it once once yeah. per game? Yeah, it's one use only. Yeah, okay. Uh, but yeah, it's still a very powerful item. If you know you need to go in and reliably take off that screen that's on that objective, because these these stone horns are counting as ten models each now. It's very very effective uh, for taking objectives back, knowing that you could blow a unit up and leave eight or nine of them left. And you've got to get that objective off them. Yeah, that's such a that's such a powerful mechanic for these these are quite elite armies. You know, when you've got when you invest quite a lot of points and like a lot of your the mass of that list is in those frost lords, isn't it? Yeah. In yeah, terms of in terms right. of damage, you're not doing much damage with uh, with much else. You know your units are two frost sabers which you go on there. Apart from you've got a couple of units of twelve, so you know going well. Maybe necessarily they they're not the only ones that's doing damage. Let's say yeah. Well, <laughs> going... that's the I guess that was the point, isn't it? So you've got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven units of two that's doing I would say not very much damage, and then you've got two units of twelve. Yeah which go in ambush with the hunters so they can teleport anywhere on the board nine inches away and they'll obviously have to stay wholly within 12 of the hunter. And they and they get a plus four to charge because of the battalion uh, and the hunter. So they, they get an eight plus three from the hunter and then the battalion gives them an extra plus one. So they teleport down nine away. They're on a plus four inch charge. That's so, yeah, that's so good. And you're next to it, and bearing in mind you're arriving next to a hero anyway, so you, your CP, you've got bucket loads of CPs to do re-rolls, and you're within range of a hero to, to be able to enable that. Yeah, so you're in range for a re-roll charge, you're in, re- re- in range to re-roll ones, and then you're in range for the main star of the day, is the Hunter's Command ability, which at the moment you can spend as many times as you want. So those, all of a sudden, turn three, you could be on 15 command points, and each Sabertusk has got 18 attacks each. 
suddenly you've got a unit that's probably going to kill any unit in the game unless it's Earth Guard or Mortec Guard, as we've seen that just come out. And I guess, uh, I assume you've checked the recent FAQ to make sure you can still stack that command ability. Yeah, yeah, it's just come out today, so that's good. Uh, at the moment, it doesn't. I mean, I don't think it's insanely powerful as it is. I mean, there's still, there's still Frost Sabres that are with a 6-up save. They, are, they will just fall over to anything, and they're only hitting on 4s. So even if you are getting 18 attacks each, they might kill most units they charge, but they will just die on the return. So I don't know whether they'll kill their points back, depending on what, obviously depending on where they've teleported and what kind of position they're in. Do you think there's a, a risk, you know, designing an army where a lot of your damage is coming from a single command ability that can be stacked? Do you think there's a risk that you design an army that can be invalidated with a with an updated FAQ? There is, there is. I- I don't think that makes the army, though. I think being able to teleport with your hunters and then be 12 away with 12 dogs, you can just get two objectives. I mean, it's just like, it's only 360 points. I mean, are they dogs or are they cats? Well, the cats, aren't they? That's kitty, kitty cats. The kitty cat list. Yeah, let's get this right. And unless unless you're ru- running dog models, I can see where I can see where the confusion's coming in. Well, I'm gonna run wolf, wolves, wild wolves. I'm gonna use. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, I think the I still think the list is still strong, even if that does get changed. Because I think I mean, oh, you got all those command points. You'll you'll probably be spending those command points on on reroll charges on the frost lords, reroll ones to hit on the frost lords. Because you want to make sure that they're doing their damage. I think those so new, those new command abilities are, I think, are underused. So I think if you've got a tanky tanky character that can kind of self buff, and you've got enough CP, I think they're um, they're legit. Yeah, I mean, you got reroll ones to save. I mean, I used I used I used reroll ones to hit on my Skinks javelins in, in that game four against Ben because I was so desperate to kill the hag. Yeah, I mean, yeah, anything that can win you the game, you'll do it. I mean, and uh, they are win- game winning command abilities in the right list. I mean, yeah. I mean, even 12 dogs uh, plus one attack, it's still a lot of attacks. You're still going to go in and maybe take that screen off an off an objective. Uh, it's still it's still very strong. I mean, even to, even being able to teleport 12 dogs as a, as a screen for yourself. Yeah. So you're you're rolling 48 attacks, uh, fours, reroll ones, then threes to wound. Still uh, rend one damage one. You know, yeah, it's only one damage, but rend one's fairly. It's not to be sniffed at. Yeah, you could probably kill the, the maybe those uh, flesh eater courts, terror guys. You'd probably take that out. Uh, yeah, you take some tasty characters out with that. I mean, somebody leaves that open uh, for a charge. You can take, yeah, you can take some juicy targets out. Describe what what things this list does really, really well, apart from positioning. So the list is four drops. That's quite strong in the current meta with how many drops you've got. Uh, so you, hopefully, you 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 you've got control of the double. Do you think? That. Do you think four drops is enough to get control of the double at the moment? Not all the time, but I think it is for the majority of the time. Yeah. I think unless unless people can write two to three drop lists, they just give up and just go six or seven. Yeah, I was I was three with the yeah. with the Seraphon with the Pterodons. I was three, and that that got me the game in. That got me the, the, the decision in almost all of my games. I mean, you just have to accept some matchups will be bad. I mean, Slanesh is will still just be a bad matchup, and it's still it's always going to be lower drop than you as well. It's like but you've two got drop. but you've got the screens to to be able to overcome that, haven't you? Maybe, yeah. It's just obviously the, uh, the screens in this list give DP away, so you're giving them summoning. It's, it's still going to be that's still going to be a hard game to play, depending on how they they go for it. But because you've got the screens, you should be getting the charges on them kippers and maybe taking them out with your frost lords. 
The kipper shouldn't be really killing the uh, Frost Lord on a zero amulet. He might get lucky and do a few mortal wounds, but then he's still got saves against the mortal wounds. So, so yeah, fairly resilient. But what about what this list doesn't do too well? What are you what are you worried about apart from facing Slanesh, <laughs> which most people are probably worried about? So I don't think it deals with large Death Stars in a, in a way where you just don't have an answer for it. You you have to just give feed them dogs. You'd have to feed those Death Star the dogs. Something like Immortech Guard or Hearthguard Berserker type things. Yeah, you just literally throw a unit of dogs sideways in front of that unit. They have to either move around it or charge it. Um, but yeah, that's the only really way to maybe get around that. I mean, the Immortech Guard, you could probably grind through them with your Frost Lord, to be fair. But a Hearthguard unit will just murder murder these units. What uh, what range threat does this list have? It, well, it's, 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 all its range flares in the, is in the Hunter's Teleports. So you got the two teleports. So you got four four units that drop down. So your so your ability to reach out and touch people is through the combat potential of the pluses to charge, rather than you can't reach out and touch people with with you know I know they've got their spear, but that's not really going to do a huge amount. I'm just thinking if you want to pick out, let's say, the harvester that's buffing the Mortec guard, how do you achieve that? Yeah, you'd have to do that with your teleport. I mean, you, you wouldn't be it'd be hard. <laughs> yeah, it'll be hard. So, is there any, anything else that the list uh, struggles with? Yes, I think it play. The great thing about the list, it's hard to say what it struggles with because I think it will play the scenarios very well. I mean, you've got lots and lots of units in this list, even though it's only four drop because it all fits in the battalions. You've got so many. You got you've got a lot of units. So yeah, you've got so, n- nine units of frost sabers. Yeah, and then you got your two frost laws, your two hunters. Yeah, you got you got. Uh... And also, the, the the frost sabers are on, as you say, you said put them sideways. They're on fairly fairly chunky bases. You know, in terms of the, the amount of width you can get onto them. Yeah, so they got basically seven. Well, so two inches each and an inch in, so they're about five inch wide. Yeah, so you're wide. looking at looking at a kind of a, a a breadth that's kind of similar to a, a unit of five. A f- unit of five kind of infantry. Yeah, yeah, almost. Sim- similar, you know. They could be annoying. I mean, they're only forty points, and you just you can literally throw them on objectives, and people just have to go take them off, and then you can't charge with your frost lords, you can't charge with your teleporting hunters. So I, I just I, I don't I don't necessarily feel this, maybe this list is going to struggle getting the five and zero at a tournament, but it's just different to what different to what I've seen out there, and it's just. I think it'd be quite a fun, quite a fun list to play, but also be you can play all the scenarios very well and, and still compete. So, is there a tournament coming up that you're looking at taking it to? Not currently, not currently. I've got a team event in January. Ah, Chris, Chris Tomlin's team event, Brotherhood. Yeah. Oh, that is <laughs> that is an absolute uh, shark tank of uh, of an event. <laughs> <laughs> Some of the some of the teams going there. That's a they're a podium of players in themselves. Yeah, I mean, I've done I've done quite a lot of competitive events, and uh, that's probably the hardest field I've ever seen. To be fair, I think every well, most of the top players that I know of, some of them don't play Age Sigma now from Eighth Edition, but most of them are from there. And then obviously the new up and coming players are they're all going to be there. That are yeah. doing well. Yeah, I'd be really interested to maybe talk to to some of the teams or some of the team captains. So if you are going to Brotherhood and you are listening to this and you do fancy jumping on the podcast and chatting to us about the event and about your uh, lists, we can always, um, we're happy to talk about the event beforehand. We can always release the list chat after the event. If you want to keep your list secret, uh, then we can do that. But it'd be really interesting to see people's take on this event and especially given the field of, uh, of players. There's a, there's a huge amount of talent in those lists, in those teams rather. Yeah, it's going to be a fun, challenging event, which is, what I really enjoy. It'd be good to go to a competitive event. Uh, I mean, Facehammer, uh, that was uh, also another one that we, 
and you both went to that were, had a very, very uh, tight, hard field. Yeah, absolutely. I wish I'd wish I'd got more practice games in with the pterodons uh, for that because it was because it was such a, a strong field. I it's it's hard to like I said. We you know we said it earlier about making your mistakes and learning during practice and training. Then don't don't turn up to a, an event and having never played your iron before. <laughs> I think I'd finished I finished painting it that e- the night before. So there was I didn't get. I think I got one practice one or two practice games. One against Tom Warnsley the night before. One against my friend Chris a few a few days before. It's it's so hard to play a list that takes such such amount of effort in positioning it's so hard to be able to just kind of pick it up it's not like it does it didn't it didn't do anything similar to a list that i've played before having just said it, it annoyed me in a similar way to skaven it, it it wasn't like a list i played before yeah yeah i mean that's also what i was saying about the proxy and i mean i i just played a lot with proxy because my army wasn't finished till the night before painting wise but yeah if you can get the practice in and just not be bothered about what you're what you're using and you got some decent you got decent group around you yeah just if you've got the list in mind just don't let it don't let it not let you get practice in you can still get the practice in just proxy of what the, the models that you do own or borrow borrow an army yeah definitely well thanks for joining us luke and it's been an, been an honor to have you on the the first episode of priority roll if you enjoyed luke's chat if you want to see more of luke uh, you're also part of the uh, wargamer online youtube channel aren't you uh yeah yeah, do a, do a few shows on there. They're a great bunch of lads. Yeah, great bunch. So that's at wargameronline.com or, of course, you can go to youtube.com slash wargameronline, all one word. It's a, a channel that does a... I'm sure people have heard of it, but it's a channel that does a, you know, hobby stuff, um, competitive reviews, battle reports as well. Uh, there's a, there's a, a huge amount of back content on there as well. And, uh, yeah, it covers uh, both systems as well, you know, uh, 40K and AOS, as well as uh, things like Kill Team as well, right? And Blood Bowl. Yeah. It's like your your, your one-stop shop for YouTube content, really. It's mainly Age of Sigma at the moment, but they they are looking uh, into getting back uh, more shows on the the 40k and they do a lot of reviews on everything that that, that, that they uh, get sent so awesome and then what about instagram or twitter what's uh if people want to find you on the on the internet i don't really have facebook or twitter so i just use uh, instagram uh it's a and i'm under uh, mechanicus raven at mechanicus raven well there we go thanks very much luke for joining us yeah thank you thank you that was good uh, good to go through uh, a show together Okay, well, thanks for joining us, Luke. That's that's great, and um, we'll definitely have you back on uh, a future episode to talk to, talk more lists. To another mad list you've designed, maybe with a, a new book. And you know, to be honest, as I say, I'm looking for a new list. So uh, let's let's design one together because uh, there's one thing I like: it's uh, letting someone else do the hard work on the list design for me, and then taking all the glory. Yes, that's what I like to hear. <laughs> so there we have it. And for those listening, uh, obviously this has been our first episode, so we would welcome any feedback, um, not only on the content but if you of this show, but if you would like uh, us to cover a certain topic in the future, then by all means get in contact with us. Uh, de- contact details, uh, Twitter, Instagram, and all that jazz and email uh, will be uh, on after the episode. And until next time, stay tuned for another episode of Priority Roll. Thanks for listening to Priority Roll. If you want to get in touch with us, we're at Priority Roll on both Twitter and Instagram. You can send us an email, priorityrollpodcast at gmail.com, or you can go to anchor.fm forward slash priorityroll and leave us a voice message. If you want to leave us some feedback, we're always looking to improve, or if you just want to suggest a topic to talk about on one of our upcoming shows, then feel free to get in contact with us. We'd love to hear from you. Until next time, thanks for listening to Priority Roll. Priority Roll.